0: Okay, wonderful. Um, welcome to another episode of the Braincast. I'm Sarah and I have with me the lovely Dr. Claire Lancaster. Hello. <laughs> uh, would you mind kind of summarizing a little bit about what you do here at Sussex?
1: Yeah, Um. so I'm a research fellow um, primarily supported by Alzheimer's Society um, and my research is really centered around um, kind of understanding risk for Alzheimer's disease early in the lifespan and starting to think about how we can kind of mitigate risk. Um, both through kind of lifestyle, but also mainly pharmaco- pharmacologically at the moment. Yeah, that's really
0: cool. So um, a lot I think of talk about Alzheimer's very much centers around the aging population and things to watch out for when you're older. So what kind of made you think that it might be something we could target earlier than that?
1: Uh, so for a start, we know like um, the pathologies of Alzheimer's so amyloid and tau start like decades before somebody start to accumulate decades before somebody first comes to the memory clinic with symptoms. And, um, and that kind of makes us think that we should kind of shift our gaze to at least kind of midlife um, but actually when you look at kind of risk factors. Um, lots of them start to come into play all the way from kind of early adulthood, even adolescence and childhood. So for example, out of the kind of, um, more like lifestyle risk factors, one of the key kind of things that can help protect your brain is education, um, in early life, um, and I mainly focus on the ApoE gene, um, which we'll probably talk about lots, uh, later on, but we know that that has, um, structural and functional brain differences in E4 carriers all the way from early adulthood Um, and it also influences cognition in early adulthood so it kind of suggests that we should be looking early. Yeah no it's really interesting Um,
0: especially since I feel like we're talking a lot more about prevention than cure in kind of clinical research at the minute so it's almost surprising that we haven't looked into this sooner really. do you think that there will be like a specific clinical application or do you think it might be more of like a educating people on how to look after their own risk sort of thing
1: um i think it's gonna be a bit of both and probably a combination of both um so a lot of the kind of things that will help you kind of lower your risk for alzheimer's which you can actively do or kind of things that we all know we should be doing anyway, like, um, exercising, like not smoking, keeping a hearty, healthy heart, um, getting your hearing checks out, things like that. So everybody should be doing that anyway. Um, but like I said, some of my research focuses on like pharmacological interventions, specifically looking if like taking a very low dose of a drug, um, preventatively in people who are at high genetic risk can kind of help keep, um, their brain healthy, kind of like mitigate pathological brain activity and improve their cognition. Um, so if you could use that preventive pre- preventatively, that would be really cool. Um, mm. and if you kind of knew who was most likely to benefit from preventative intervention, so for example, people who were genetically predisposed, I guess that would be like the clinical application
0: yeah that is again really cool because there's a lot more kind of genetic studies happening now that seems to be the way that research is moving from what i can tell do you think everyone should know kind of their risk genetically of things like alzheimer's because i know that there are some kind of ethical issues with gene counseling and things like that so do you think it's worth kind of leaning into that almost or do you think we're not quite there yet i
1: think it's a very um personal decision. Like I know quite a lot of people have looked at their kind of um, genetic makeup and what they might be predisposed um, to kind of using commercial um, companies. But at the moment, um, particularly because the gene I focus on, the APOE4 gene, isn't deterministic. Um, so if you have it, you could very well not go on to ever have any problems with your memory. Um, so perhaps knowing would create more of a burden in that you'd always be worrying about it. Um, And I think if there's something you could do specifically, that's different, if you were a carrier versus not a carrier of that gene, then it might be worth knowing.
0: Yeah, definitely. Was that something you kind of had questions about with your study? Because I know you are kind of testing people's genetic makeup. Was there ever a point where you wanted to let people know, or was it always something you were going to keep private?
1: Um, It was always something we were going to keep private. Um, I think actually the kind of, um, government kind of suggestion at the moment is not to release, um, genetic information in this way. And like you said, we would need to do some counseling if we told somebody they were at 12 times the risk of future Alzheimer's disease or whatever. Um, and also it makes it a bit easier for me not knowing what kind of genotype everyone is, and also probably to recruit because quite a lot of people don't want to know their risk.
0: It's definitely kind of a tricky problem. I've heard it from a few different lecturers with a few different opinions. So it's always a fun one to ask about.
1: Yeah, I guess. What did you think? Because you took part in the research. I
0: I don't know. I was curious, but I'm the kind of person who likes unpicking questions and finding stuff out for the sake of it. And obviously I have a decent background in genetics. So I think probably someone who didn't know so much might think a bit differently than me, because mm-hmm. I did a dissertation in Alzheimer's disease. So I kind of already had a bit of background there that a lot of people wouldn't. Mm. And I think overall it is, like you said, probably safer not to let people know just in terms of, I imagine that would be a lot of paperwork as well, actually, Yeah, <laughs> on a very real level kind of speaking of things with studies was there anything that you weren't able to
1: investigate that you would have liked to pry more into so i think if i had more kind of resource and it will hopefully be something i'll look into later on i'd like to look a bit more into like individual differences um because at the moment we're trying to treat like APOE e4 carriers so the people who are genetically higher at risk like one kind of big homogenous group and actually like there's so many like differences like people have different um kind of cardiovascular health different kind of education levels and sex is a big factor that comes into play that we're not kind of adequately addressing that um and obviously the longitudinal impact of both kind of trying to control the effects of this gene and kind of just letting it run naturally would be interesting to look at
0: yeah, no, that as well. Um, I think I can't remember the exact statistic, but it was that women are much more likely to develop Alzheimer's in general. Mm-hmm. Um, is that independent of the gene, or
1: was it with both? I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it interacts with the gene as well. So, mm-hmm. um, E4 carriers who are female are more likely than males. So, I feel like that's not one I've seen around just sort of in
0: public much. It was something mm-hmm. I came across in a paper. I think with wider public awareness getting better kind of around Alzheimer's as well. Is there any misinformation you've seen spreading around about it that you'd like to correct? Or do you think that the kind of charity campaigns we're seeing at the moment are pretty accurate?
1: I think they're doing quite a good job, to be honest. One thing when I'm talking to my kind of friends and family, who might not be as kind of interested in like dementia as I am, um. There's still a lot of kind of like questions about like oh what is dementia is it just kind of part of normal getting old and i think like the charity so kind of doing a good job of like trying to help kind of communicate the fact that it's not just kind of an in- inevitable thing that's going to happen to everybody um and yeah i guess the other thing that people often say to me is oh like if you're going to get it you're going to get it it's just a lottery and i mean yeah genes do play a big kind of role in it but I think the latest stat is that 35% of alzheimer's cases could be eliminated or at least kind of dramatically slowed um with the kind of help of lifestyle management so there are things we can do which I think people should know
0: yeah definitely I think it almost makes it a bit less scary as well when you know Mm. you have a measure of control over it I think a lot of people just think it's like you said just up to genes but you're actively working to prevent something it kind of makes you feel a little bit more secure as well mm. i was also wondering just kind of in general what you enjoy about research and things like that
1: um so i guess one thing is um just it's quite exciting like just like coming up with like new questions i have a lot of like different questions and ideas and just being able to have like you know the kind of privilege to try and answer them by kind of coming up with the best method possible Um, and I think definitely like the people side of things like it's really cool to collaborate with other people who are interested in what you're interested in and also kind of members of the public like people who volunteer in the research but also just kind of doing work with like lay people and stuff is really cool Um, so for example we've just done this project called the Sussex Brain Bus where we've been working with members of the community to create artwork around kind of dementia awareness which is now going to be on a bus in Sussex which is really fun and cool um so it's not research but it's kind of a part of the job like communicating research i guess
0: you know i think that's kind of one of my favorite things as well about getting to do projects like this and kind of seeing things come to life i think it's amazing when you look at kind of the research community and how much interaction you have just kind of how many opportunities you get like whether mm. it's creating a bit of a podcast as a student still, getting to chat to people, um, but also just kind of seeing the impact that you have, like it might not be as literal as a bus driving around with some cool mm. artwork on it, but, um, I've got friends who've done outreach into schools, the community, care homes, it's mm. just really exciting and yeah. um, I think it's something people forget about when they think of academia, I think there's still that kind of ivory tower image going on a little bit. Mm. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> um, yeah, I was also wondering what you'd give in the way of advice to people looking into research, looking like into kind of research. looking into going into research, wanting to kind of take on those roles, like what's something you'd suggest people do?
1: Um, so if you are at, at kind of like an early stage in your career, um, which is really the only kind of stage I can talk about, um, like I'd say, like find A research area that really kind of fits with what you're interested in like I was very lucky that I did a PhD in something that's turned out to be super up my street and I really love it um and also perhaps like try not to spread yourself too thinly like try and identify like what your kind of jam is and like stick to it a bit um and also work-life balance like I'm pretty sure everyone says this but like it's very easy when it's like your own project to kind of like lose perspective on the fact that it is, although you're studying, it is basically like a job um, and you should treat it like nine to five and have like boundaries and life outside of your research. how did
0: it go when you were kind of figuring out your project? Did it sort of
1: kind of stumble on it through your PhD or did you deliberately pick one that you already thought you'd be interested in? So the project I'm working on now with the um, APOE-E4 gene and the kind of anti-epileptic link, so i had been kind of thinking and like a few of my collaborators have been talking about like this idea of like arousal for a while so it was always kind of like on like my horizon as something that was interesting and then I went to a conference and somebody was talking about this kind of overactivity thing um, In kind of Alzheimer's. And I was like, oh, APOE4 carriers show that all the way from kind of early adulthood. Is anyone looking at that? So it was really kind of opportunistic that I went to that talk at that conference and was paying attention and no one else had done it first. Um, touch wood. I don't
0: know. Those fly effects like that are always the most fun projects, though. Mm. Um, so I think Sussex as well has quite a good research community on Alzheimer's, right? I was talking to mm-hmm. um potential supervisor the other day about the kind of Alzheimer's research group that there is. Is that something that like grew organically or is it something that you deliberately decided to collaborate on? So
1: I think it grew quite organically. So I did my um, PhD at Sussex back in, I think I started in like 2014, and there was already um quite a lot of APOe. E4 researchers in like the different schools. So like in life sciences and psychology and neuroscience and kind of different working at it from like different angles. And I think that's probably like in 2015 or 2016, they got like the Alzheimer's doctoral training center, Mm -hmm. and Jenny Rusted and Louise Serple did. And I think from that point on, there's just been a lot of APOE interested people floating around. You know, it is kind of
0: great when things like that happen as well. Me and my friends have an ongoing joke that everything always leads back to the lab. So uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I was also wondering about kind of the community aspect of it outside of working. I know you said it was quite like a job, but what have you found it like moving from kind of PhD to postdoc kind of roles, that kind of thing? Do they still keep the same support? Um, has it been something that's been actively worked on?
1: I think it really depends on who you work with and like the institution. Um, like I haven't been at Sussex the whole time. So like my experience has varied, but I'd say like at like the postdoc level, it's much more kind of about you seeking out support. Whereas a PhD student, I think you're a bit more like enforced to have support by like the community and like your peers, but as a postdoc, you're a lot more kind of of independent and just sort of like yeah it's up to you to kind of look for opportunities and mentors and stuff
0: you know it's just interesting kind of seeing how the roles change and grow so i think that's also something that i've seen talked about a lot more recently about kind of programs phd students that kind of thing you don't really hear a lot about what happens after (laughs) probably Mm. because people go in all different directions but I think kind of the last thing I wanted to ask was how you feel about how kind of translational research especially in neuroscience and around neurodegeneration is becoming do you think it's a good thing that we're starting to look at stuff from a lot of different perspectives or do you think it kind of muddles um the lines a little bit
1: um I think it definitely helps to be translational like um I think actually, like, we can't really achieve very much if we take kind of a narrow view and only look at like the specific thing that we're interested in using the specific methods. Um, so for example, like I work on a project called EDON, which is an Alzheimer's research UK project. Um, and one of its like aims is to use like different wearable technologies, so like things that measure your gait. Things that measure your sleep using eeg like things that measure your cognition and like as part of this project there's like gps like health systems policymakers, like lots of different people feeding into this one project i think if it was just a bunch of scientists we wouldn't have got half as far like we need other people um
0: yeah no it is really cool to kind of see people be more collaborative i think and i think it goes back to that kind of ivory tower image that people have about science, but there's just a lot of cool things happening a lot of times with collaborations. I've seen studies conducted through apps. I think that Mm -hmm. was a spatial cognition one I've seen, um, the things like these, I think it's called the soapbox project, isn't it? Um, do and yeah, it's just really exciting to kind of get to be even a tiny part of that kind of breaking it down and making science a lot more accessible. Hmm. Yeah, I think we're starting to run out of time. So is there any last little bits that you wanted to mention? I don't think so, no. Fair enough, well, thank you so much. Um, And yeah, I hope that was interesting. Yeah, it was good fun.